Welcome to the Shield Your Business from Chaos podcast, where there's no building, no people, no third-party suppliers, and no systems all combined to create Chaos the Dragon, which is battled by King Phoenix and his shield. Hi, welcome to the Kingsbridge BCP podcast. I'm Rosarita Firth, and with me today is Bruce Wingert. We've had him as a guest on the podcast before. If you haven't seen that episode, you should definitely check it out. Before we get started with introductions, I want to say a few words about Kingsbridge BCP, our sponsor. They are a business continuity software and consulting company. They've been in business since 1983. And um, they provide business continuity planning software as well as consulting to a wide variety of industries and companies, large and small. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be doing this podcast. I have a lot of fun with it. I talk to a lot of interesting people. Usually our guests have about 20 years of experience, sometimes even more. And Bruce today is no exception. Bruce, thanks so much for coming back as a guest. Oh, I appreciate it. And thank you very much for inviting me back. Had a great time the first time and looking forward to a good conversation this time. Good. And hopefully our topic today will uh, be of interest to a lot of our audience, just whatever level of, of experience that they have. So Bruce, I recall you have about 20 years of experience in the space. Uh, and I remember you came from an IT background and that you have a lot of experience in the insurance in, uh, industry. Good memory. Yes, I, I've actually I did come from the IT background, mm-hmm. um, and in addition to you know the insurance industry, I, I've worked at uh, outsourcing uh, call mm-hmm. centers. Uh, I've worked in healthcare. I, I've worked in uh, retail. Uh, mm-hmm. So and in the financial industry. So I, I've bounced around, got a lot of good information from different sources um, of my experience, and uh, hoping to share them with you today. Great. And I do remember also that the first time we spoke, you had mentioned that you'd lived through a lot of incidents, uh, whether as a as someone simply experiencing it or also as part of a response recovery planning team, uh, specifically a direct tornado hit. I'm glad I'm not you. A typhoon in Asia. I'm also glad I have not had that experience. And a hurricane in El Salvador. That's a lot. That's a lot of sort of big events. Yes. You know, I mean, in addition, you know, all the natural disasters, uh, whether it's earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, you know, I, I've dealt with all of them. Uh, I, I've dealt with some other situations that are more regionalized too, uh, mm-hmm. or specific to buildings. Uh, so, you know, it's a, when that call comes along and, you know, something is going wrong, that's what we, the business continuity professionals, that's what we're paid to do. You know, the, the planning is all in leading up to what do you do when it happens? And uh, so, yeah, unfortunately or fortunately, I do have a fair amount of experience dealing with uh, responding to situations. So we, uh, we had tentatively titled this episode being Calm is Contagious. But in the process of discussion, we've kind of evolved a little bit. That nugget is still really important to the conversation we're going to have today. But Bruce, I'm glad you kind of expanded on the topic. And I'm really interested in having this conversation with you. I think um, a great place to start is the constant news cycle, the sensationalism Mm -hmm. of the media, 
everything is the biggest, the baddest, the worst. We name everything, right? And and it's a byproduct of our current culture, not mm -hmm. passing judgment, but there are consequences for the, how the information is presented to us and how we consume it that really affects not just the BCP practitioner or the executive committee or the team members um, in, a, in a practical way, but it also affects kind of like how people are able to respond. Are they able to bring their whole self in the midst of a crisis? Or mm -hmm. do you have team members that are really freaked out about what's going on and how we as practitioners can help them? So I think yeah. go ahead and run with that. Yeah, no, that, that's a great segue. And, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, as you know, the, the introduction kicks in and talks about loss of building equipment, personnel and vendors, you know, that how that evolves into chaos. Um, and then what I've discovered is that when that occurs, when you have a loss of building, when you have that emergency, it's a very fluid situation and, and data, data gathering and the interpretation to what you said becomes very crucial, you know, because it might come in with one set of, oh, I, I guess uh, <laughs> how it's being presented, but how you should actually be extracting that data is completely different. So uh, it, it's very important. And, and I also liken it to, you know, much like a military commander, they need to have the correct information and surveillance to create their battle plans. And, mm -hmm. and us business continuity professionals, we need to do the same thing when we're responding to a, an event or to an incident. We need to have that correct information, get rid of the fluff, get rid of the, you know, the, the exaggeration, I'll call it. And uh, what I'd like to do is, is focus on three things. You, know, you, you talked about the, the media and the external data gathering. That's definitely the, the topic I wanna talk about at the beginning. Uh, also talking about gathering data from internal sources too, because those are, oh boy, as we continue to move to a more of a remote workforce, a lot of times we might not be right next to where that incident is occurring. So, you know, gathering that data internally becomes a, a key focus. And then finally, what do you do with that information? You know, how are you going to provide that information to those above you or your emergency response team? So taking that data and, and bringing it all together. And those are the three, oh, the pillars that I want to talk about today. Right. Uh, and, and with that, let, let's, let's talk about the external data, data gathering, mm -hmm. you know, the most often referred to as the media. And, you know, th this kind of caught my attention the other day. And especially with this weekend, with these horrific mass shootings that we saw in multiple cities across the country. And unfortunately, so many times when you hear about these mass uh, shootings, they, they tend to focus on school and children that might be involved. And those are just horrific, horrific events. But there was an article that caught my attention that described the, the worst school massacre in the history of the United States. And it actually included 44 people that died, including 38 children. And there wasn't even a gun used. There was a, a, a gentleman who, a disgruntled person, ended up using dynamite to you know, blow up a school that contained children. Uh, it, it also then used, a, it used his pickup truck to uh, you know, go after the superintendent and, and all these you know, just horrific, horrific events. And I thought to myself, how come I never heard of this before? You know, it, it's, it just completely baffled me that I had never heard of this before. Mm -hmm. Well, 
first and foremost, this happened in 1927 in Michigan. So obviously a long, long time ago. Yeah. Shocking yeah. to have an event like that over a hundred years ago, number one. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, you know, having not heard about it, but this was before the internet, obviously before television too, mm-hmm. uh, but this did make, you know, national headlines. But what the interesting thing was, is that two days after this horrific event, Charles Lindbergh completed his first transatlantic flight. So as a result, it just disappeared from the news. You know, it, it was, you know, whatever the latest and greatest and most, you know, sensational type of uh, news that's going on is going to matter in the face of the news. So, you know, it was probably very, very short lived uh, in that situation. So, but the, the world that we live in now is completely different. I mean, we all know that we are in a world that has nonstop feed of external information. Mm-hmm. And that nonstop feed is our challenge. Uh, and it's a challenge for both sides, I'll take it. You know, we, the receiver, we need to filter what is pertinent and what is exaggeration. Mm-hmm. However, the media, AKA the provider, they need to make the, the news seem important enough to keep it in the customer's attention. They need to make sure that we're staying engaged. So, you know, the, the, the old adage is, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, that's always how the media is. You know, whatever is the, the latest and greatest, that's what they're going to put on. But um, I want to step back and, and talk about this nonstop feed of external information. And, and where I'm seeing this the most is in the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things are much, much different now than they were 40 years ago. Uh, you know, we hear about weather is getting more extreme and it's occurring more frequently, but I, I just want to kind of present a different side for people to think about in this situation. You know, years ago, it was the newspaper that provided the news. Mm-hmm. You know, this was before the nonstop news. And, you know, if there was a flood in a town six states over, well, unless you happen to read about it on the bottom of page 11 of your local newspaper, mm-hmm. you didn't hear about it. It just wasn't what we, you know, I mean, come on, you, you and I growing up, we, we had the news, television news twice a day. It was <laughs> six o'clock, six o'clock and 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, it was for 30 minutes only. Uh, and, you know, 10 minutes of that was probably dedicated to sports and, you know, five minutes was dedicated to the weather at the end. And mm-hmm. you know, now we have on my local television, we have weather on the nines. And I think to myself, my gosh, weather doesn't change that much in an hour, let alone every 10 minutes. But we are constantly bombarded with everything that is, is changing. And I, I, I try to kind of look at the psychology behind it and try to see, you know, how did this morph? And, you know, obviously in the 80s, cable became big. And then you had CNN that came out and had 24-hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. And they needed to fill that time. We then migrated to the internet and the World Wide Web, and all of us were logging into our computer using originally Netscape and then Internet Explorer, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, the the smartphone debuted. Now we have it in our pocket, so all we are time. getting this constant, yeah, nonstop news, and you hear about these storms more than ever. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but I can just kind of think to myself. You know, if you go back into the 1940s, if there was a cluster of storms moving off the coast of Africa that became a tropical storm for about three hours and then died down, we probably would have never even known Right. It. You know, this is before satellite now, technology. Yeah. Now, you know, we are seeing 
you know, uh, hey, potential storm starting. And, and you're seeing it from the very origins of it to the point where, okay, it's now a tropical storm. And even if it's short-lived, then it's mm -hmm. gone. But, you know, it, it's now counted as a named storm for the year. So uh, yeah. go ahead. I see that you're looking there. <laughs> so, you know, that's a, that's a really great point <clears throat> because there's probably generally two categories of people that, that respond differently to that information. There's going to be a certain percentage of the population that goes, I'll worry about it if it gets closer, if they live in an area that's that's prone to being affected. And the other part of the population is going to be, oh my gosh, there's another storm. There's so many these days. And what if this is the one? And then you start yes. you know, watching more of the weather to watch it happen. And there's all the speculation and the probability, all of which is very important and valuable, not discounting it. <clears throat> but it's like when we consume too much bad news or stressful news, it's very difficult on a lot of people's physiology and psychology because it can be really mm -hmm. stressful. And, and right. what does that do to sort of our rational mind trying to analyze the information that we've been given? Right, that, that's a great, great point there. You, you, you nailed it. And, and you may remember, I think it was uh, uh, 2018, uh, Hurricane Florence was occurring and the, the weather channel where they got caught, they had the, the um, I, I think it was Mike Seidel was in, and you can Google this too on, on YouTube. And it's it just, he was out there talking about this storm and he was braced for the winds and he was, you know, his legs were widespread and his knees were buckled and he was leaning into the winds. And as they panned out, they showed two people walking nonchalantly in the background in shorts. And they really, he, the, the weather channel just got crushed for that, talking about the sensationalism of weather and how bad that actually looked. So, you know, it, it, again, you I take that, that information. Now. Yeah, and you, you take that information. And, uh, you know, I, I think in our pre, uh, one of our pre-talks, you talked about how they even name winter storms on the weather channel now. You know, they, they didn't used to do that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they do that now. And, and you know, the, 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 the titles of these storms, polar vortex or bomb cyclones or atmospheric rivers. I mean, these are just horrific sounding in incidents. And you, you and I growing up, we would hear about a nor'easter heading up the coast, uh, the Atlantic coast. And that's what it was described as. Yeah. Now it's described as 130 million people are in the storm's path. Yeah. You know, they really, really try to, yeah. you know, same situation. And in some um, cases, I mean, things things really are worse. You know, we do have right, more severe right. events. But when you are constantly hearing only about the superlative of whatever a situation could possibly be, it really does make it challenging for the average consumer of news to take a step back and say, okay, like, let's dig into this a little bit more. Let's look at a couple of different sources. And, and when right, you're right. on the receiving end of the news, that's a, that's a lot of work for people to do in busy lives, right? But for the BCP practitioner, mm -hmm. it's critical because we got to keep people from freaking out. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. You know, and, and to add on to that, early assessments of damage are often not in line with what the final results are because it's, it, it's, it's very fluid at the beginning. But at, to your point, our job is to not get caught up in the hype, but to extract the facts minus the emotion. Oh, and that's absolutely. what, you know, 
really the important thing and, and kind of to summarize the, the whole content of, of talking about external data gathering, you know, I, I just tell the folks that are listening to, to just be careful. You know, if we end up providing falsehood, it's our reputation that's damaged. You know, the, the, the weatherman's never going to be criticized because they gave the wrong weather. Well, yeah, they'll be criticized, but there's no repercussions for it. If we take that data and if we then escalate it, it's our reputation. So, you know, also, you know, speaking with someone who's going through a situation first is often more reliable than hearing it on the news. And I really want people to know that. So when you're seeking out that information, try to get that internal source is what we'll talk about here momentarily. And and just just remember, you know, the, the media is always going to find that someone, that person out there that says, I've been here 25 years and this is the worst I've ever seen it. They're never going to find, yeah, the storm wasn't as bad as I expected it. You know, <laughs> you'll never hear that. You know, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're always going to hear uh, the 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 hyperly the, the hyper exaggeration of the event. So, yeah, true. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I wanted to kind of talk about the media. Just you know, again, nothing against them. That that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep our mm-hmm. attention as customers. But we, as business continuity professionals, have to decipher that. Um, yeah. Now, conversely, let, let's talk about internal data gathering. Uh, Again, let's let's focus. Pretend that we are, are remote employees, and, and just understand that those impacted by the, by an incident might not be in the right state of mind. You know that that's it's Excellent really point. hard, you know, to understand that because we are trying to get that information, but they might not have the right state of mind, or they might only see a small portion of the overall situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be good or bad, but you know. It, it's, it's a challenge. It's, and, it's partial information. Right, right, exactly. And as we discussed in the previous podcast, I, I always say that empathy is probably your most important trait for a business continuity professional to have during a, a crisis because, you know, the data gathering will truly begin after the initial shock wears off. And, uh, you know, I, I also want to tell the, you know, the, the people that are listening, you know, that be prepared. As, as bad news is, is sometimes it's going to come in waves and it's going to impact the state of minds of those people that are providing that information to you. Yeah. So, you know, you might hear that initial bad thing and then all of a sudden they'll get whispers or maybe even be told of some other type of horrific type of situation that's associated with it. So again, it's the mind, the human mindset is mm-hmm. going to be the, the, the different, uh, you know, item to, to, to task through. Um, and, and also know that different people will probably provide and have differing information, different opinions, different perceptions of the incident. And I've thought back to some of my experience with this. And, you know, I, I've found out that a lot of times senior employees or those people that have been with the company for a longer period of time tend to be most reliable because they've been there, they've seen it all as opposed to they're, they're not that you know, hurry up and react to it. But the, the, the more senior people tend to have a, a better way of doing it. And I also want to, you know, give a lot of credit to the people that I've worked with in the facilities field. Boy, those facilities <laughs> people, I swear, they, they must have ice cold blood in their veins. They get great <laughs> assessments, but they don't get too excited about things. They just kind of, you know, okay, this is what's going on. And they kind of give you that information. Um, and if you are remote, I, I've always found it very good that if if you can get a first responder to talk with you, 
Mm -hmm. they also give you a great assessment of the situation because they paint a good picture, but they're not going to go into the details of the emotional part of it from what right. I've seen. That's so, a great suggestion. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's, you're getting that first responder onto a, you know, a, a conference call where there's mm -hmm. other people engaged or, you know, maybe just say, Hey, can I talk to the, the, the fire chief or whomever might be at the site at that point? Uh, because they, they can give you a, a real good situation too. So, um, you know, it, 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 keep in mind that there's other people that rather than just that first person that gives you that communication that there's some type of bad situation going on, start to look at your resources internally uh, because they're definitely going to help you. And, uh, you know, keep in mind that, you know, when you're dealing with a fluid situation remotely, get that overall assessment from those at the site while realizing that the validity of information might not be 100% accurate. You know, you, that, you're going to get that. In the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, or it's going to change. So you've got two factors yes. working kind of against you. To your right, point. right. That's exactly true. You know, I, I always try to get that initial information and then maybe disconnect from those people and tell them, hey, I'll call you back in 20 minutes or I'll call you back in 30 minutes. You know, before you hang up that phone, you make sure, again, going back to the whole empathy thing, make sure you ask them, you know, what can you do to help? You know, what can I, how can I help you, et cetera, et cetera. But let them, you know, after they've reported it to you, let them kind of go deal with all of the millions of things that are being pushed at them and then come back to them. But, you know, when you let them go, get whatever information you can before hanging up that phone call with them. But, you know, while they're attending those other tasks, start to begin to formulate specific pointed questions that you want to extract from them when you speak to them again, because that'll keep them focused, but it also allows you to, you know, now that you know there's an incident, you're going to know as the business continuity professional, what type of information you truly need. So get those questions ready so that the next time you pick up that phone and you talk to them and they're giving you a, a situation update uh, of the whole status, you can then go write down your question and answer list and say, hey, what's this, what's this, what's this? And you'll, you'll get a lot better information that way. So absolutely, uh, it, it, it's hard, it, it, it's, a, it's a challenge because again, we know, uh, you know it's chaos. It truly mm -hmm. is for those people that are living through the event. So those are my focus on both internal and external data gathering. Um, you know, before I jump onto the providing information, you know, I, I know that you've been listening here and kind of providing some feedback, but do you have any thoughts yourself as to any of those uh, pieces of information? Only kind of what I've already added, because you've been really, really <laughs> thorough. And um, I, okay. I hope our audience will appreciate this particular perspective, because it's, it's a lot of psychology and human nature that's involved in this. And we're not necessarily specifically trained in psychology, but we've right. got to know enough to be able to handle these situations with empathy, as you so wisely said, and also, you know, thinking about how do we do fact finding with emotional people and having that list of questions mm -hmm. once you have the first conversations is really helpful to help them stay focused and you get what you need. Um, right. And I, and I know before right. we wrap up, uh, you also want to talk about how do we take these two inputs and feed them upward into that single output um, yes. and making that information be non-emotional and valuable mm -hmm. right 
the right scope, the right level of detail, and in, mm -hmm. in relatively short windows that you'll have to provide that information. So if you want to say just a few words about that before we close, that would be great. Yes, no, that, that's a, a great item about the, the, the few short words because it really comes down to that in some situations. But uh, you know, taking that external and internal information, processing it, now what do you do with it? So now you need to feed that information, you provide the information. More than likely, your first response is gonna be notifying your management team. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've always in the past, as soon as I get information that is reliable, I escalate it to those above you. You know, if you're a business continuity professional, that might be going to your manager, your director, you know, depending upon where your rank is, you might be sending that information by a text message to a VP or the executive, mm -hmm. uh, depending upon where you are on that corporate ladder. So I always try to get, you know, that information to them as soon as possible, because ultimately your goal is to make sure that your hierarchy hears about the event from you and not from the top down. So if, if you report to the CIO, if you ultimately report to the C CIO, you don't want the CEO asking the CIO about an event and the uh -huh. CIO saying, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't heard about this yet. So uh, again, you know, even minimal information is, is better than nothing. You know, a quick text message with the information, letting them know of the situation that's unfolding and that you're researching it. That way, again, let's go back to the CIO CEO situation. If your CIO gets asked about the situation with the CEO, their response could be, you know, yeah, Bruce told me that this is actually going on. Mm -hmm. You know, he's working with the teams to gather the information and he's going to provide me with updates as things change. That's, you know, again, the CIO doesn't have a lot of information, but at least she or he can respond to the CEO saying, yep, I'm aware of it. This is what's going on. Yeah. So very, very big. Getting that initial, again, just taking it, whatever information you've gathered, taking the facts and, and shooting it off real quick. You know, short and succinct information is very, very important. And, and that's also true whether you're sending it up to senior management or to the emergency response team, right. uh, because you really want to make sure that you are providing correct information. The last thing you want to do is in subsequent meetings or get togethers to try to reverse what you've been doing because it was bad information. So you want to make sure that you're focusing on the correct information. And, and you know, I talked about this at the beginning. It, there's less room for errors. You know, unreliable information directly correlates to a loss of, of your reputation. You want to make sure that you're providing that right information. Mm -hmm. uh, so very, 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 you know, hard to make sure that you're, you're getting that. And I always try to get together the emergency, the whole re emergency response team at the beginning. You know, provide them with the update they can assess themselves whether or not they need to participate in subsequent meetings. You know, mm -hmm. as the situation pro progresses, there might be some meetings where, you know, or situations where the, the legal department's involved and they need to be actively engaged throughout the event. Other situations where you might think about it and say, yeah, you know, I don't need to be involved in these meetings. Let me know if I do later on. And so, you know, bring everyone together, tell them to, you know, give them a situation report and let them decide whether or not they want to stay engaged with the ongoing uh, emergency. Um, and, you know, finally, you know, as we become the points of contact, 
you know, for those that are impacted and, and those who will assist in the response, our primary goal, and I've been saying it, it during this conversation, is to remove the emotion, get the facts correct, present them. You know, that, that's what we're really tasked with doing. Facilitating an appropriate response is one of the most important things that we as business continuity professionals can do. We just need to make sure we get the right data, remove the emotion from it, and allow all of our teams to do a, a, an efficient response to whatever situation is causing chaos the dragon to appear.